Welcome back to Probably About Politics. This episode, FIFA. Yeah, special guests. Hello, Corey. From the Alternate Captains. Right. Which is a, an active podcast. Very active. <laughs> that you can go listen to at any time. You know, this is our active effort to re-get that going, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a listener-supported show uh, available on all podcast platforms mm-hmm. where... They talk about sports, Chris and Corey as co-hosts, but we only have Corey here. Right. <laughs> Our last episode was about LeBron going to the Lakers, so... still He's still there. Yeah. He, yeah. You don't need to update that yet. Yeah. Every four years, he changes teams, kind of like an election cycle. He mm-hmm. goes on TV. There's a week-long thing. That's Nobody cool. knows where he's going to go. Finally happens. It's mostly driven by money. Yeah. You know what else? Four-year cycle driven by money. The World Cup. Wow. <laughs> I, I got to st- steal your punchline. Okay, so this episode we're going to be talking about how the World Cup is decided a little bit, somewhat about what FIFA is, the Fédération Internationale de Football Association, which is not the Football Association, but it is a federation about association football, which is soccer as opposed to Aussie rules football, which is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to talk about, yeah, what is FIFA, how it started, and then a little bit about previous political scandals that involve the development of world cups in their history okay so kaylee you start us off and tell us what what is fifa and why we have to deal with this bad incarnation of them and why we can't make a new one (laughs) um yeah so in uh like 1904 uh nations had started getting together to play soccer games uh, or football games association football association games. football games um and it's sort of in that uh bunch of guys in france were like well let's create a body to oversee that in uh, 1904 and then in the 1930s there were like enough nations that decided they were participating in that they're like we should do a world cup we created enough countries by then. well yeah well, join yeah, participate yeah. Yeah, when, when uh when fifa was started i think it was seven european countries yeah. that was it so yeah and so basically they formed the world cup and at the time it, the first place to host the world cup was uh uruguay um essentially it was very clear right away that they could generate a lot of money off of doing this and basically the uh, there were like 44 member countries, six bid, and then Uruguay said that we'll pay you to let us host it. And then they got to host it. Um, and I think they said like FIFA saw like something like 200% return on their investment. So it was really like clearly a money making opportunity. Um, and then for several decades, it kind of alternated basically every four years between a European and a South American uh, country. So, like from the very first time, it was just some guy saying, a bunch of people all wanted it, and then somebody was actually willing to pay them to get it. Yeah. And then yeah, they yeah. did it, and then they were okay with it. Yeah. It has always been like, uh, it's totally a democratic process to get the World Cup, but it's never been a democratic process to get the World Cup. Well, if it was a democratic process, mm-hmm. then potentially somebody could do it who, like, I feel like having the money to actually host the World Cup is somewhat important. Yeah, you have to be able to fund everything that's about yeah. to happen. Like, right? if you're just, like, some random country that there's one guy who puts together a really good pitch and then you get it but you don't actually have any financial backing then you could end up mm-hmm. yeah not being able to actually host the tournament yeah it's mm-hmm. like and they do like a really extensive uh process like it's a 10-year bid you plan your bid for about 10 years of uh 
I mean, it's sort of 10 years of whining and dining, various <laughs> members of FIFA, but in theory, it is like putting out the pitch, saying how you're going to do it and right. where all the money will be made. And mm-hmm. yeah, and I guess it's kind of backwards too, because you just because the democratic process doesn't mean your country actually has the facilities to host the World Cup, as noted by sending it to a country where it's literally 45 degrees Celsius in the time that we normally host the World Cup, (laughs) (laughs) where they don't have any facilities that are capable of actually hosting the World Cup and no public transit to the stadiums that were finally built so that it's essentially unsuitable to do the thing, even though they had the money to do it. But I guess we could talk about that in like three or four minutes once we talk specifically about (laughs) Qatar. (laughs) But okay, so right at the start with FIFA, compared to the club game, how big was international football at the start? Like from the very beginning, right? We had some we had some fancy pants men in England that decided to start playing football. Then it got also big in South America, right? So when was the first like international match? And at first, like now, international football really captures the imagination of the world, I find, right? Like there's something to say for the Champions League soccer fans care about those but everybody cares about the world cup like my dad was talking about the world cup the other day yeah so in the early 1900s was this the same thing or did people not really care about the world cup at all and it was just like some folks wanted to get together and put together teams uh yeah yeah pretty it's so as a 135 year old person (laughs) (laughs) who was in her (laughs) mid-20s the beginning of fifa yeah I, i i guess so the thing about it is, like, it's always been pretty popular, like, the idea of your national team. And, like, it's sort of, like, if you really like the Olympics, I think you'll also relate to this, like, this idea of, like, it's it's always been, like, a seen as, like, this really great opportunity to show off your strength and, uh, like, uh, skill as a nation. And, and, and it, it sort of features your country really heavily. So it does generate this, like, real sense of pride. Uh, from a country as well as it's like political leaders have always seen it as like that's why Uruguay wanted it was it was a great opportunity to host all these other countries and showcase themselves as uh, a talented soccer nation and as well as uh, and as well as like uh, uh, a nation who wants to like announce itself on a national stage a lot of developing countries look to get it because uh, historically even from like you know the first one in the in the 1930s are looking at it as this opportunity to say we are fighting to compete at the level of like America, Great Britain, all those these other countries announce ourselves in that space. So there's always been uh, it's the nationalism around it. I think has always been the big tool of the World Cup. I guess right. And this is kind of I guess this happens a lot, especially like from a Canadian perspective. During when Canada hosts the Olympics, and you hear everybody talking about like. This is such a bad financial plan. We have homeless people. Why are we building a gigantic stadium that we're not going to use anymore? Like, why are we building a 20-meter-high diving platform in downtown Montreal that (laughs) nobody's going to jump off of ever? So is there, even, like, with Qatar spending, like, $220 billion, is there, like, an actual economic return for that? Like, or, like, a socio, like, political, economic, social worldview is there some sort of like thing that that country gets on like a world stage that like political leaders care about? Uh, well, I'll, I'll probably toss it to 
Corey here, but <laughs> mostly I think I think there is the idea that there is. It doesn't mean that Qatar has yeah. controlled it in the way they wanted to, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for comparison, the most expensive World Cup previous to this current one uh, and going on in Qatar was Brazil, and that was in, they spent nineteen billion dollars. Okay. That was the most expensive <laughs> World Cup ever. Okay. And so this then, is like thirteen times the price. Right. <laughs> right. And so there's no shot of a financial return that makes that worth it. Mm-hmm. The thing is is that Qatar, they don't care about a financial return. Um, since about, you know, the 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 twentieth century, the, the, uh, Qatar sits on like the largest national or na- natural gas deposit in the world. And they essentially have uh, more money than they can spend on anything. And and they have about, they have less than half a million citizens, right? Each of their citizens, they get paid uh, a certain amount by the government on a periodic, like, it's basically a, a rich welfare state where they're just paying all their <laughs> citizens, right? And so... They have like universal extreme income. Right. It's yeah. like whatever the opposite of basic is. Right. And... and um, <laughs> And but that's all based on natural gas and oil, and obviously, you know, the way that the world is going is that um, we want to th- we want to start moving away from our current sources of energy and onto other things. And Qatar knows this, and they won't know that um, what they're sitting on won't last forever. And so they're trying to d- diversify their portfolio of things. And so they they buy like they bought uh, the Saint Petersburg Airport. Yeah. You know, like they, they, they're buying things that are completely unrelated to, you know, what their previous sources of income were. They and they bought a soccer team, which we'll get into, which is Paris Saint Germain. They own the largest soccer team in France, and hosting the World Cup kind of is is was the perfect opportunity for them to turn into what they want to be, which is a member of the global stage where people. People want to visit there. People want to host their international events there, you know, and, and that really played in that perfect timing for them. And so they're willing to spend any amount of money to then get that presence on the, on the world stage. Yeah, Because like on like a five or 10 year time horizon, there's no potential amount of tourism that could generate $220 billion in return in Qatar. But over like the next hundred years, if Qatar becomes a... Uh, country that people know about that people care about that people start people see qatar on tv now and somebody starts writing a movie that takes place in qatar they become a cultural icon people think about qatar and in 100 years now they're actually a country that has other things other than natural gas and so like on huge political time scales there's potential for this actually to make sense yeah it's 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 certainly debatable um i think uh qatar maybe has a better case for i mean so i think from uh uh their ability like again as Corey was saying they they have the money right so it didn't 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 matter that much to them to spend that much money but there's not great measurements on how that outcome has worked in the past like certainly everybody now knows qatar do they know it for the right reasons that's pretty debatable at this Mm -hmm. point um uh, there's sort of a it sounds like there's a lot of division in qatar about whether or not it was better to be the anonymous nation that people didn't think much about right because you have an opinion about saudi arabia you didn't have an opinion about qatar probably four years ago um and then i think if you look to other world cups like uh brazil uh south africa like all these countries did they see a 
a return on that that they wanted in, well, in, in long since term. the Brazilian World Cup how many times have we talked about them on this show yeah we do like Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but they also have like this huge stadium that they now use like that was a top of the line stadium that they now use as a bus depot um, and okay we're uh, yeah. we are off topic <laughs> mm. so yeah. this is so Qatar has this World Cup. They spent all this money to do it. But they, there's not just the biggest Czech competition, right? So there are at least some idea, some semblance of a structure to the Federation and how the World Cup gets divvied up. So like, what is FIFA? Like we've seen Infantino. We've seen everybody. I Maybe not everybody, but people have heard of Sepp Blatter, mm-hmm. right? Like who are these guys? And how does one of them become the leader of fifa and like what's the structure and then how does a world cup get decided by by these guys Corey. yeah, yeah, I can, yeah I can remember that. <laughs> so i yeah, obviously like we said fifa was initially formed to be the governing body for uh any soccer association and uh that has grown to i think they have 217 member countries that okay. belong to fifa and those 217 member countries is the representative at fifa like the head of the fa in england or is it a different guy that's more like a political figure of the country that goes that's a good question and i think it can vary okay i think uh yeah do, do you have the i don't know if you have the, the, I think the it real depends answer yeah on the yeah because they're also broken down into confederations mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. each one is slightly different mm-hmm. yeah because some of them have a heavy political um, background, you know, maybe they don't have a football background; they have a political background, mm-hmm. and you know, they do they do negotiations for like deals with the with, for the country outside of soccer. So okay, but, so there's 217 of these representatives that aren't necessarily one person; might be a team of people, but 217 members of FIFA. yeah, yeah, okay. like and, and like the English FA, like the uh, Canada Soccer, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, and uh, and they also they also belong to a. Um, a a continental uh, mm-hmm. governing body as well. There's a there's a governing body for each continent, and so right. that kind of they belong to their continent, and then each continent makes up. The, like we are Concacaf. That's right, mm-hmm. which is the North American uh, right. Continental uh, Association, which is the longest one, right? Longest uh, name of all the associations. There's, there's also there's Con- 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 which is the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same. Yeah, but that, yeah, they are long. They're, yeah, they're very long, and <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what they stand for. <laughs> Right. Um, and so the organization of all of the 217 member states into these regions, that really matters for the actual qualification of teams that end up going to the World Cup too, right? Because they have like different numbers of teams from each confederation based on the overall general strength of the countries that make up that confederation, right? Yep. Yep. And there's, a, there's yeah, there's these things called coefficients and that mm-hmm. is basically just like how good you are <laughs> a number yeah a number that gets generated kind of like a chess player's elo rating where okay. the the the, his, the history of your performance then educates your your future coefficients and then those coefficients determine that oh Europe gets 12 teams and mm-hmm. South America gets 16 you know and and so on and so on even if the last time even if like all of the players are actually different potentially yes yeah, it's, it's past four years of history <laughs> yeah 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 and then also they're distributors of the money. So like FIFA will have gotten, will get a bunch of money from this World Cup mm-hmm. um, and then it will be distributed out 
um, I think primarily through the confederation groups uh, to encourage the growth of their their tournaments, the okay. growth of youth game and, and stuff like that. So there's a lot of... Uh, there's like a lot of power in those confederation groups as well. Right, so. okay. So there's like... There's like sub leaders mm-hmm. of yeah. the other leaders of the inv- individual confederations within yeah. FIFA. They're yeah. the members of the. So you were asking about the leadership of yeah. FIFA, and they would make up the executive committee of okay. FIFA. Yeah. And the head of each confederation does it rotate like the Security Council? No. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so we have these. Each continent has its own confederation that confederation is made up of its member states Mm -hmm. and then each of those but each of the states gets one vote when they're voting for um like the host of the world cup at like a global scale right uh no no (laughs) it used to in theory and I, i don't know and i don't know what they've done for i think there was a recent vote for the 2026 and the 20 yeah 32 I don't have they decided on 20 I don't know if they decided I don't, on I don't think they I think just 2026 but, but it was yeah. in 2010 yeah. that they decided on uh, Russia for 2018 and mm-hmm. Qatar for 2022 and there was only uh 24 votes 22 votes yeah it was yeah. just the executive it's 24 votes yeah yeah there was a committee there was a committee yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So and all so, of the member states decide on like who the president and stuff is, right? Yeah. I believe that's correct. Yeah, I yeah. think so. So the president of, but so basically the presidents of uh, Concacaf, Commonwealth, UEFA, all those mm-hmm. continental organizations make up the executive community committee or X, EXCO, and then the, you also have the president of FIFA and some of their executive committee members, and they make up twenty four people who vote on where the world cup will be right so this you only need a majority this makes total sense so you get 24 people and because they're a smaller group of people it's like a jury and you can easily isolate them from outside influence they don't get to see the news they don't get to interact with anybody and there's no way that they could not be neutral arbiters of who (laughs) gets the world cup Right, right. That's totally one hundred percent. Yeah, either that, or it's much easier to drive them. Or the concentration of power allows for potential corruption. Yeah. Which one of those two things is what happens? Mm -hmm. I'm leaning towards the second one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and, yeah, so the votes are very like so about I think there was like four, for example, four representatives for Concacaf to uh, in that vote. Ah, okay. Uh, And. Each of those votes are weighted equally, and they're kind of voting on behalf of their continental organization. Okay. But, but it's it's still just one vote, and it's like it's one guy making the right. vote. And and like for example, one of the uh, Asian Federation uh, members was from Qatar, right? Okay. Right. So they already <laughs> had a, a guaranteed vote there. Okay. Right? And uh, and then yeah, and then it, it becomes a game of uh, of you know meeting with people and trying to convince them and, and all this stuff and 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 how the vote actually works is you you have i think at the start they had five candidates yeah uh, for, for 2022 it was like qatar the u.s mm-hmm. uh, the uk and and they whittle it down they remove one country each round of voting until they get down to two i think i think yeah, so, yeah. and okay. so in the final round it was qatar versus i think the u.s and and qatar ended up qatar ended up with 14 votes 
and I believe uh, the U.S. ended up with eight. I think because I think two votes were ended up, ended up being fully uh, uh, like uh, removed. Like like right. they were like, okay, you two are not allowed to vote. Okay, because they realized that they had been <laughs> corrupted. Uh, okay, yeah. So uh, so the confederations are kind of like multi-member ridings. And those multi-member writings have proportional representation at the executive committee where they each have like, depending on the amount of countries they have, they might have four members because they're smaller. They might have more members because they're larger. And then those representatives go to the executive committee, 24 people. It's the FIFA parliament. They go there and then they get to vote. (laughs) Yeah, I guess Mm -hmm. the risk in saying it like that, though, makes it sound like it is far more representative than it is. (laughs) I think, yeah. Well, it's it's complicated, too, because there's like, who are the richest countries? Who are the most populous countries? Who are the best countries at soccer? Right. And uh, because I think I think you would say that if it's based on population alone, that Europe, then Europe probably has too many. Right. representatives but it's like who cares about soccer the most right i mean okay. the, it was founded in europe with only european countries and, and it's based in switzerland and so there's also that lean and, and so it's, right. it's kind yeah. of it's complicated and if you're yeah and if your continental organization is way more organized or you have like a leader that is mm-hmm. way better at whipping the vote on things then right. it, it just changes things yeah okay so no matter what depending on how this executive committee is made they then vote and then they give out the world cup and basically they're super open to being i mean they have to make an opinion somehow right they have to form an opinion on Mm -hmm. who would be the best to get it done and because they're just people they might interact with folks and i mean like i think part of this is not like people aren't really mad right now at qatar because they bribed people to get the world cup like that's not why people are criticizing qatar leading up to and during this world cup right people are mad at qatar because of like the number of deaths of migrant workers Mm -hmm. and like human rights abuses right like it's Mm, not it's not because like if the uk had also bribed as much as qatar did to get the world cup not to say that the uk is a perfect (laughs) uh, multinational group but uh, I don't. They wouldn't be catching as much flack, even if they had been as yeah. as corrupt necessarily. Yeah, because I mean, because um, that's just kind of how FIFA yeah. operates, right? I think. That, <laughs> yeah, the issue is the anger with bribing is definitely more with FIFA than with the country. Mm-hmm. It's uh, like because it's reasonable to point out, like the 2018 World Cup was Russia, and mm-hmm. it was also almost equally as. Um, like a blatant grab to host a world event and cover up whatever it is Putin wanted to do at at the time. Um, And we see how that played out. And then Qatar is a similar situation where it it made no sense as a nation to be, for them to be selected in terms of what, like, because if you look at the bidding process, like FIFA is looking for you to have the stadiums and Mm -hmm. like the capacity and the infrastructure like that should be part of the bidding process now of Mm -hmm. course Qatar had the money to build it all but they did have to build it all Mm -hmm. Um, and there's sort of like notable like understanding that it is better to go to countries with some existing infrastructure that they can to prove that they can support it and that it'll grow the game like in theory you're picking a country to grow the game of soccer or football and are you growing the game of soccer or football if you are bringing it to Qatar with, as Corey said, like a population of half a million? Yeah, the population yeah. of Qatar being 3 million, but only 300,000 citizens of Qatar. Yes. Right. Yeah. There's very few people who live in Qatar that actually are citizens. Right. 
So specifically in Qatar, then, I mean, people are people are mad at FIFA because of the corruption and people were, you know, probably mad in Russia when Russia got the World Cup. I remember people being upset about it. Um, but what specifically is happening in Qatar that's like so heinous? <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> migrant worker uh, deaths, <laughs> uh, to be specific. Uh, like we talked about, Qatar doesn't have many citizens. All mm. of the citizens of Qatar are quite wealthy. And they had their bid to host the World Cup, and they had zero out of the eight required stadiums that could fit 50,000 people in order to host the World Cup. Which meant that they would have to build eight stadiums, they would have to build transit, They'd have to build all this, all like you said, all this infrastructure, and uh, no, they didn't really have anyone with that would do that sort of work within the country because, like we said, they're all kind of wealthy. So, and also at the same time, all of the neighboring countries of Qatar also got also got pretty wealthy at the same time, right? You're looking at the UAE, you're looking at Saudi Arabia, and so there's also not a lot of workers coming in from those countries too. So what they started to do, and this happens in in a lot of places, you know, a lot of people move to the U.S. for this sort of reason, is that um, you leave your country because there's a there's a better opportunity, even if Mm -hmm. you're not making as much as the people who live there, you're going to make more than you did where you where you lived. And so there's a lot of people coming from Nepal and Bangladesh and the Philippines, and and they're moving to Qatar to help build all this stuff that's required for the world cup mm-hmm. um but what what ended up happening is is that qatar operates or operated uh, in the in the past allegedly uh on a was it kafala system is that what it's called yeah and what that means is that your not your citizenship because none of them we're all they're all very far from citizens but your your visa mm-hmm. is completely the responsibility of your employer And you can't uh, leave jobs without the permission of your employer, because if you left your job, you'd now be an immediate illegal immigrant uh, and and you could be arrested. And and they would they had they had control over your passport. You know, they took your passport when you entered the country. And so in order to, you know, you need to get your passport back. And and so these people ended up kind of stranded. Uh, You know, they'd be working in crazy conditions like like we said the weather in qatar is you're looking at 45 degrees celsius during the day mm-hmm. and um they had to install air conditioners in the stadiums for the players to be able to play mm-hmm. they didn't install air conditioners uh in the construction sites for the workers to be able to work so yeah. it's kind of crazy that you'd be expected to build stuff in that weather when mm-hmm. people can't even play soccer in that weather and uh yeah and so the death toll for workers there Every every World Cup has had like a death yeah. uh, while building a state. You know, so, so most of them are below ten. Okay, I would say um, we're at a point where in Qatar it's not known exactly how many there were, but it's definitely in the hundreds. Okay. And there was an estimate that uh, by the time that it was done, there would be four thousand right. deaths just by yeah. building the, the stadium. So mm-hmm. and and yeah, and these people are kind of stranded with no repercussions. They could. They, they, there's some employers that have been withholding pay, and you have like, so you and you. What are you gonna do? You have no way to get out of the country. You don't have your passport. You can't change jobs. Right. And uh, you know, uh, and most of these companies had you pay a an employment fee. So you had to pay a fee to be considered to be a candidate to go and work in Qatar. So you're starting mm. off your employment already in debt. 
Right. And so you're just, you're handcuffed basically by your socioeconomic situation. And right. so, yeah, it's, that's the worst part about, about mm-hmm. this World Cup is what was required to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's just in addition to that, like not just builders too, because they don't have the people to run all the like restaurants, the services as well. They, they're also bringing people in to do that work. And a lot of time it's, uh, it's women who are pretty vol- like the, 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 reports uh, from human rights watch and and those organizations about the experience of the rights of not migrant like builders but also the service people um if they are sexually assaulted uh is like their chances of standing up in court and, and getting a fair um trial is it are very low so it was incredibly underreported mm-hmm. um and yeah so and they're also like they're obviously not you know necessarily laboring on construction sites in 40 degree heat but they are very indebted in a very uh differential power dynamic uh, mm-hmm. between their employers um, and in, in service positions. Um, so just like the entire burden of putting this on was on the backs of other people from other countries who mm-hmm. will never be considered Qatari citizens. Right. Mm-hmm. And they had to build these eight stadiums that will never be used again after, uh, after you know, this, the, the month of December in uh, 2022 because again there's only half a million citizens and there's eight stadiums that can hold 50,000 people at the yeah. you know that every, every basically every person living in Qatar would have to be using a stadium at the same time for them to right. get to get the the use yeah yeah, so, so. yeah. a lot of people died for yeah. something that yeah. won't be valuable yeah. mm-hmm. which is it's very conflicting uh Qatar wanted the world to look at them for a month Mm-hmm. But also, there's a lot that Qatar doesn't want the world to see, and yeah. so it's right. it's very odd that you know that this is what they wanted. But yeah, I mean, there are like there are reports right at the start, like just before the World Cup, when like news agencies were arriving in Qatar to start covering the World Cup, and there were immediately videos popping up on the internet of people just like filming where they were supposedly allowed to film, even like in their designated spot, and police coming up. And pushing their cameras out of their hands um so there was a lot of like immediate view into kind of the veil fell down pretty rapidly uh over what they wanted the world to see happening in qatar um so on the grand scale i guess at least these problems are have come to light now um people know about these these issues uh well, I think I don't think I think maybe we would have been talking about these things in guitar, um, but I don't think um, they would have had such widespread um, news coverage if not for these events that led up to what's now happening in the country. Yeah, I mean, I think Qatar in some ways got a bit unlucky. I think in terms of because I think sports washing this this concept mm-hmm. that is the idea that a country may take on a sporting event like the like the World Cup, like the Olympics, mm-hmm. um, and use that to distract either from what they are doing or to improve their image on the world stage. That was not a term that was. It was a term that you might have heard in you know in like political circle like people who are interested in it. But now I think it's in the language of sports fans like as a as a concept so so it's kind of the culmination because i think even in 2018 when russia was hosting it was we we're starting to say it, but it was not nearly yeah. as uh vocal yeah. i think yeah the the tide has really turned from the time when qatar was awarded the world cup and now once they're hosting it 
Yeah. Like that was a, a, a revolutionary decade, yeah. right? In sports washing, especially in football mm-hmm. with Manchester City, with PSG, especially with a lot of oil money in specifically in soccer, yeah. basically has really changed mm-hmm. the way that people view this type of thing, right? And can I touch on something really quick about PSG? Because yeah. you just because you mentioned it, uh, this is a bit, just a bit of a little you know tidbit. Is that uh, <laughs> from a Manchester United fan? Yeah. Just a dig. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has very much to do with the with the awarding of the of the World Cup is because uh, Michel Platini, he was the leader of the French Football Association mm-hmm. in, back in 2010 when this when it was awarded, and he was also the leader of UEFA, mm-hmm. uh, which is the European. A continental organization as well so he had kind of a lot of influence over the rest of the european votes and several weeks before the vote he had a meeting at what castle was it one of the castles there with uh sarkozy who okay. at the time was the leader of france yeah the whole country right <laughs> and there was also uh members from the royal family of qatar there and and platini has said that sarkozy told him to vote for Qatar. Like he was about to, he was going to vote for us up until a couple weeks before the vote. Okay. And these men kind of, and, and Sarkozy told him to uh, vote for Qatar uh, because there was some, you know, France, Qatar politics going on that Mm -hmm. they wanted to be in good favor with each other. And part, and part of that agreement was that the Qatar, Qatar would buy uh, Platini's favorite team, which was PSG. Right, and so <laughs> Qatar buying PSG was it was actually a direct, uh, uh, you know, it it was a direct uh, result of of what was going on with the voting, and uh, that's why they've kind of you know turned themselves around and that sort of thing, and, and since then, and and that's so that's just crazy. To and me. since then, PSG now has won like. The majority of all of the League One titles in the last decade mm-hmm. since that happened. Yeah, and they and, now... and they had Beckham for a while, and they had you know you know they they've transformed who they are as a team. And they they have, have the world record transfer fee. Yeah, they yeah. have Lionel Messi, and they have the highest paid player in the world <laughs> yeah. by wages. <laughs> yeah, so... and so them so that <laughs> Qatar uh, owning PSG was very much like a dip in the toes for the next ten years of being in the world of football before they hosted the world cup in mm-hmm. 2022 and and that ended up platini ended up exerting his influence allegedly on several members of the other members of the uefa voting contingent and that, mm-hmm. that then led to them being able to host the world cup so just a little tidbit for you there was there was a leak about the thai um the thai vote like thailand because they, oh, yeah. they were negotiating a natural gas contract at the time and so they they got better. They got better terms on their natural gas contract in exchange for voting for Qatar. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's very political. It's, you know? Yeah, and it's like and, and like there's evidence that Germany, when Germany hosted, they we later came out like I think in 2015 that they did bribe several of the members of the executive committee. Like it's it's, it's not just Qatar that's doing it. Yeah, Every no. time it's sort of expected how yeah. you do it. Yeah. <laughs> and and sometimes it's it's sometimes it's direct bribes, which is just like here's a million dollars, and sometimes it's like here is something that will have repercussions for your country or for your football association or for you know. So right. Bribing can be a lot of things. Yeah. Right. But so as you say, so this is not like the first time that this has happened. Right. And I think we wanted to touch on one specific other instance of 
politics specifically being involved in a World Cup uh, and kind of people seeing for a country for what is happening there. Yeah. So I think like, uh, yeah, as we've kind of gone through this, I think our listeners will see that this is probably about politics. Um, (laughs) (laughs) A little little name drop. But uh, and we've we covered a few episodes ago now the sort of the uh, what happened in South America during the Cold War with the American backed dictatorships. Uh, Argentina had uh, one of the more globally significant um, uh, or not one of the more global, but a very, very significant uh, dictatorship um, that was uh, and that overthrew a democratically elected uh, president. Um, and it became titled the Dirty Wars. Mm-hmm. But it's like kind of notable that in the middle of the Dirty Wars, about two years after the dictatorship came in place, um, uh, Argentina hosts the World Cup. And at the time, I think there was, I was reading an article that said like hours after uh, Videla had overthrown, um, had put the country on martial law, um, suspended unions done you know arrested several people closed congress he just hours after that he had a meeting to talk about hosting the world cup hmm. because and he is was notably not a fan of soccer didn't hmm. like it thought it was boring um but he sort of immediately recognized that this was going to be a really important opportunity for argentina to normalize on the global stage what right. they're doing and, and say that things are fine here um and the if you don't know what the dirty war was um basically what would happen is intellectuals artists mm-hmm. teachers um would suddenly disappear and they'd never be seen again alive um and this was like not just a few people this was thousands of people this happened to um and there were anybody who was seen as sort of either being leftist or even it could be but maybe not even that maybe they just didn't pay the bribe to get through a checkpoint or something yeah um but not only uh you know, the, those were the, a lot of the people, but also professional athletes were also being disappeared at the time. Uh, there was something like one rugby team lost 18 players in Argentina wow. um, for having potentially leftist uh, views. And so we kind of, it's it was, it was very clearly seen as an opportunity to make Argentina seem trustworthy and the world knew about it. So like, there's always sort of this like, but did everybody know? And it's like, no, Europe several european countries were being actively petitioned to not go and participate in that world cup right um uh, amnesty international was reporting the disappearances like keeping account of it um but everybody did end up going <laughs> and uh and the fifa president like he got there and he sort of said like look at all you like i mean this happens at every world cup but they very forcibly cleared out large neighborhoods mm-hmm. of lower income populations um and either disappeared them or just forced them to move right um and then at the opening ceremony the president of fifa at the time like was really commending them for all they did to like make this happen even though uh, and and spend the money to have it make it happen and clean it was so clean and nice and beautiful mm-hmm. there um and the Pope at the time came as well. Wow. Um, he notably suggested at one point that they weren't real disappearances. Those people had actually just gone to Europe um, and just weren't in Argentina anymore. The Pope said this? Yes. Okay. I thought you were going to say that they, <laughs> he said they just like got, like gone to heaven. 
Nope. nope. <laughs> <laughs> he said they went to Europe. <laughs> they, they were just assumed bodily. Yeah. But and, no, okay. But Europe, as, AKA. But sure. And, and, but as these like opening ceremonies are happening, they're releasing doves into the air. And it was said that the, uh, the naval school where they were, uh, imprisoning and torturing several of the you know hundreds of people who they had disappeared um could see the doves flying so it was very close the the whole time the world cup and the uh the act of you know acts of torture and disappearance were really side by side um and and there's you know it was very clear to a lot of people that it was happening at the time but argentina ends up hosting this world cup i think henry kissinger was there was saying how great it is right. notable good guy henry kissinger <laughs> yeah um and uh it, it did like confuse the world state it muddled the issue of whether what was happening in argentina was bad argentina won the world cup so it also really rallies yeah. the nation um and and so you can see it as like a very powerful tool in that instance um and how quickly dictators, I think, recognize it as that resource. And because it is such a huge undertaking, I mean, again, $200 billion for the last, this list one, um, it also takes a dictator a lot of the time to actually get it done. To push something like that through. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, so this has been going on for at least 50 years, these types of things surrounding <laughs> the World Cup. Um, but I mean, there's, there are good things about the World Cup from like on like a national scale, political scale, a lot of bad things, but the cultural exchange that happens around these things. Seeing videos come out of Qatar where people from different sides of the globe who would never interact, getting to become friends with each other and interact with each other um, is really good. So if there could be some way possible to have these things without um, this uh, these negative effects could be a really great thing. 2026 World Cup is Canada, USA, Mexico. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Very um, few stadiums have to be built. Yeah. yeah. But also, has to be noted. <laughs> if you want to complain about distances between stadiums for games, uh, it <laughs> yeah. might be doing it over an entire continent is yeah, a little bit. Yeah, there is a bit of a trade there, yeah. A little um, bit of a trade. But okay, yeah. so join us again for the next episode of the Alternate Captains. Uh, that'll happen in four years from now. <laughs> That's right. When, <laughs> yeah. when they cover uh, the World Cup in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, but for this episode, that's probably about politics. Thank you for listening. Send us an email at probabilpolitics at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at probpolitics. Uh, or go give a listen to Corey's podcast, The Alternate Captains. <laughs> we love you all. We love you. Bye.